Uh, good morning, guys. Let's turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. So Acts chapter 7 starts off with uh, um, Stephen being on trial and being asked questions uh, about his, you know, proclaiming the gospel. Um, and so they, they go into this uh, whole thing of wanting him to stop preaching, stop proclaiming. <clears throat> and um, he's basically, you know, being questioned, you know, in the way that Jesus was. And uh, you remember Jesus, when he was questioned, you know, he was before the people on trial. Uh, he was, he was uh, silent. Um, you know, the only response he made was, you know, to Pilate. I, I think the, one of the few things he said was, you know, the only authority you have is authority given to you. This wouldn't happen unless my, you know, in so many words, unless my father ordained it. Uh, and so Stephen here is on trial and he's going to be asked questions by the leaders of the community. Um, they got people to um, speak falsely, give false testimony, right, in, in, a, in a public uh, a square or court. And um, Stephen uses this then. Instead of, you know, he's on trial, but instead of using this platform to defend himself, he uses this platform to proclaim the gospel. Okay, so just, just think about those you know, few words. He's on trial, but instead of using this to defend himself, he uses this platform to proclaim or to point towards Jesus. Okay, uh, and so verse 1, now the high priest said, are these things so? Verse, I'm going to skip through verse 47. He gives this whole history of Israel, and, and you know, everyone is following him all throughout you know, from Abraham all the way up to the point of Jesus. And, and, and they all know the history. They're all Jews. And so they, they're all the, yeah, okay, Abraham, okay, yes, Moses, okay, Noah. And they're just following all along and they're in agreement until the point where he, he, he gets to a point that really just uh, uh, infuriates him. So then the high priests say, what are you doing? And he's saying, basically, he gives his whole history and then he's basically saying, you know, uh, proclaiming the name of Jesus. We'll skip a, a lot of what he says, the history. And then verse 47. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my rest? Was it not my hand that made all these things? All right, we talked about uh, you know, a few days ago, God's desire and intent has always been to be with the people, right? To pour out His Spirit and to walk intimately with them. The religious institutions, it's all about a place and a property, right? It's all about a temple. And, and, and uh, Stephen quotes and says, man, God's desire was never, you know, his, you know, His desire was never to ultimately live in a building made by, you know, hands and by people. You know, go back to the garden. It was always intimate fellowship with, with His creation, with, you know, intimate relationship with Adam and Eve. And then the sin came, and then there was separation, and all these things of the, of the temple and sacrifices and atonement were all symbolism, and they were meant temporarily to represent, you know, uh, uh, atonement, 
but was meant ultimately to point towards Jesus, right? And that's where they missed it. They missed the heart of God. They, they heard the words of God, but they misinterpreted, they missed the heart of God. And next thing you know, you have a people who are worshiping a place, worshiping a facility, and it's supposed to be pointing towards a person to God himself, and they completely miss it. And, and Stephen is just trying to show them, guys, God is not about facilities and, and traditions. God wants, like, like he's, he's offering them something better. Like, God wants to, like, walk with you. Jesus walked this earth. He wants intimacy with you. It was never about living in a temple, which, which they were so fixated on. Verse 51, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your father did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, and you have now become betrayers and murderers of him. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now when they heard this, they were infuriated. And they began gnashing their teeth at him. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they shouted with loud voices and covered their ears and rushed at him with one mind. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen, and as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. The word of the Lord. Um, yeah, it's quite, quite, quite dramatic. He's giving an account of the history of Israel. They all understand it. They, they follow him. They're in agreement. Yes, yes, this is why God. And then he gets to the point where he says, God never wants to live in temples. He wants to live in you. Jesus is the Son of God. This uh, uh, makes them furious. You know, they don't know what to do. They're you know, gnashing their teeth. They're, they're holding back. <clears throat> and then when Stephen says, I see the heavens opened up and I see the Son of Man, which is, uh, uh, they knew it's Jesus. Jesus often referred to himself as the Son of Man. And he says he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And at this point, they just lose it. They, they, they can't take it anymore. Uh, they become a mob. They drive him out and then they start stoning him. Uh, Stephen is the, the first martyr uh, of, of, the, of the church. Um, we learned yesterday that he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. Right? We learned yesterday that you know, no ministry, right? nothing, nothing that is, is of need is beneath us. We have a man uh, uh, who is of great reputation, uh, uh, full of the Holy Spirit, guidance and wisdom. And the leadership of the church appointed him to make sure, you know, on the outside, it looks like he's just taking care of um, making sure the elderly uh, widows have, you know, ha- have food. But really, it's community, it's unity, it's working between two cultures. Uh, uh, the Jews that were born and raised, you know, uh, uh, really tied to their Hebrew culture. And then the Jews that were, uh, you know, from all over the Roman Empire, picked up different languages and cultures and, and came back. Um, you know, it kind of reminds me, uh, you know, I have a, a premarital counseling course, and one of the things I, I, I you know, I do probably a couple times a year, 
one of the things that Solomon's Porch and in this course that we we're always pushing is, you know, there, there seems to be this uh, kind of pe- people in some regards, uh, you know, may look down on a stay-at-home mom, right? And, 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 and stay-at-home moms may feel at times insecure because there are women going into their careers. And one of the things we always praise is you have no idea the requirements, the demands, the schedules, the emotional needs, you know, of, of you know, raising children, you know, keeping the house. And it's like a full-time managerial, like organizational, I mean, you know, to keep a house together, to keep it flowing, to keep, you know, kids fed and everyone at peace is, is such an incredible responsibility. And so one of the things we remind them that it's, it, there's so many skill sets required, you know, invaluable uh, I was talking with someone, I actually mentioned it just a week ago, and I said, you know, for all that my wife Andy does in the house, and, and I, me- I mean this with all my heart, right? You know, if she could get a job outside, and it's not, it's not to, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, say one way against another, but I mean, the, I think the general idea is that, oh, you don't have a job where you're staying home, you know, there's, there's someone like, you know, there's a little diminished uh, uh, value in that, and, and I don't believe that at all, and this is the way I said it to my PMC class, Annie wouldn't take, you know, a million dollar salary from anyone or any company so that someone else could take care of her kids, right? We wouldn't pay a million dollars for anyone. No one could pay us any amount of money to raise our, our infant or newborn, you know, within the first two or three years, right? There's no amount of money. There's no amount of career that we could ever, you know, pawn that off to someone else and, and, and to, to, to believe that that would be a good trade-off, Right? Um, and so that's, that's kind of our, you know. And so there, there are a lot of ministries and services in the church as well. There's so many uh, skill sets. There's so much, it's, it's so much more than just physically what you're doing. There's so many uh, uh, aspects of serving in various places in the church. You know, I, personally, I believe that, uh, uh, you know, if you're, if you're going to ask me, and I probably shouldn't, you know, I don't want to be too revealing, but I, I think I've said this before. You know, some of the places that I look Right, and I, and I mentioned this yesterday. If someone's not serving in any capacity, and they come up to me and say, "Pastor Sam, I would like to lead this ministry," man, I'm really, I'm really, you know, suspect. In my mind, I, all sorts of questions start rising up. And then, you know, when when someone is serving faithfully in the most menial, like you know, thankless jobs in the community. Uh, and then, and then someone asks them, "Will you, will you step up in service to lead?" And they're not sure, and 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 they have to pray about it. Oh, my heart just warms up. <laughs> you know, there's there's something about the humble and modest behind the scenes, not for attention, serving, and and the only reason why they would do it is because they feel compelled, or they feel like you know God has been calling them. Uh, and, and so, so Stefan is is doing this. He's serving faithfully. You know, making sure people are having you know food, and yet he's he's a man filled with so many gifts, and and he submits and he serves, and 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 then God uses him in this platform where, you know, maybe not ideally the type of ministry we'd want or opportunity we want where he gets martyred, but man, the name of Stephen will never be forgotten. You know, in every church through history, through the cloud of witnesses, through every generation, his story. His testimony as a faithful, humble servant of God, and then, and then almost thrust forward into this place where he proclaims the gospel in a hostile environment, and the name of Jesus is proclaimed and glorified, and 
and he has the mark of, of you know, the first and, and, and one of the deepest marks of, you know, someone who gave everything and, and ultimately his life uh, for the gospel. Uh, I want to get back to what I said in the very start. Uh, people are giving false testimony. He's on trial, but he doesn't use that platform to defend himself. He uses that platform to point towards Jesus. Church, this, this is a great example. Every single one of us in the house of God, every single one of us, in, in, whether we're serving in ministry, whether we're in a small group community, whether we're in the marketplace, you know, we're at, at times, sometimes because of our own actions, but sometimes even though we did things right, you know, we're in a position where people may talk uh, uh, negatively about you. You know, for whatever reasons. They may have uh, other, other motives or intents. And all I want you to see here is that, you know, uh, um, you know, people are bringing false testimony. Stefan has done nothing right. By every right, he has, you know, he, he, he can fully, by every right, defend himself. But instead, what's amazing to me is that he uses this platform, you know, where everyone's looking at him. And instead of defending himself, instead of, you know, uh, making an argument or a case against himself, he completely puts himself aside and he points and, and directs people to Jesus. And, you know, what if we did that, right? What if we, when we were being accused, if instead of using an opportunity or instead of using a group to defend ourselves, instead we pointed people towards the Lord and, uh, you know, were to be a testimony in that place. And, and this is what I believe I absolutely believe that God will vindicate you. I absolutely believe that God will justify you. If not in the flesh, in the present, then we know in faith forever and eternally. Forever and eternally. Um, one of the things I love about this passage is that, uh, you know, as he's being on trial, uh, and they begin getting angry because he says, you know, you're, 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 you basically killed the Messiah. Uh, he looks up, you know, in verse 56 and says, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Standing at the right hand of God. You guys know the Apostles' Creed? Right? Biblically speaking, you know, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, uh, uh, who sits at the right hand of God the Father. Biblically speaking, uh, uh, you know, scripturally speaking, Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. Uh, uh, his, you know, when he was here, he was the Messiah. Uh, um, when he comes back, his second coming, uh, he'll be the king. Uh, his current role or position, so to say, or one of his roles is as a priest. And so he's the high priest who intercedes. And so Jesus, is, you know, his, his work isn't done. He's not just chilling in heaven, sitting at the right. He, he, you know, he's interceding on, on behalf of the saints. He's, he's the high priest. He's praying and contending. He says, that one's mine, and that one's mine, and she's mine, and he's mine, and I'm praying and contending. Um, and so he's, he's up there, but the scriptural picture or view is that he sits. And so what's going on here? He looks up, and he sees Jesus standing. I think it's such a... It's such a I get goosebumps when I think about this. It's such an incredible picture. I mean, just, just think of the context. There's, there's man with their authorities and their institutions and their, and their corrupt motives... 
And they bring this man of God filled with the Holy Spirit into their courtroom. And they're bringing accusations and they're judging him. And they're saying, defend yourself. This is a trial for your life. And Stephen doesn't defend himself at all. He just talks about Jesus. And then they're going to condemn him. They're about to kill him. But then the courts of heaven opens up. And Jesus is standing before him. And he's basically saying, no man can judge you. No court of law can judge you. No man has that authority. Only heaven, only God can judge. And, and, and Jesus is standing there. He's literally being torn apart and judged by man. Jesus is standing there and saying, you, you, you are forgiven. No court of law you know, in, 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 on earth can judge you, can condemn you. Only I can. Only I can judge you. And my judgment over you is, is he stands, is I atone for you, I cover for you, I stand for you. Yes, there's weeping. Yes, there's, there's sadness. There's, there's all sorts of messed up stuff, you know, stuff happening here. He's going to lose his life. But, but in the eternal courts and forever, God, Jesus, God stands before us and, and, and is saying to each of us that we are forgiven. There's, there's no man. There's no church. There's no institution. There's no pastor. There's nobody that can judge you. There's nobody that can say you're this or you're that. There's no court of law. Only God can speak into your identity and worth. And, and Jesus on the cross says, you're forgiven. And in the courts of heaven, if you accept me and if you love me, I stand by you through all things. Right? That, this is good news. Right? God has declared, proclaimed that if you believe in his son, believe in Jesus, that any judgment that was ever cast on you, any judgment that you ever cast on yourself or subscribe to, none of that carries any weight. None of all that is void. The only judgment as believers we wake up and go to sleep is that Jesus loves me. He forgave me. I'm a son. I am free. We make mistakes. Yes. We need to be corrected from mistakes. Yes. Praise God for the church because no one else would have the audacity to correct something that we believe would be harmful for you. So in love, there is rebuke. There is correction. Right. But that's not judgment of value. That's not judgment of personhood that's that's man we want to draw you near to god but ultimately i'm a messenger you got to take these words and then you got to decide for yourself what you're going to do you got to decide for yourself if you're going to respond to god in the scriptures right so so separate the messenger separate the pastor separate the leader get the word go before god ask him god is this from you if it's from him then obey and forget about all the other relational and 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 you know you know back thoughts and talks and things like that Right, And so praise God for the church, that there are people who love you, who would care enough to say, I'm concerned, I'm worried, you know, long-term uh, relationship, long-term health. And so nobody can judge you. God does not condemn you. Right? And so in the court of law, Stephen is literally being condemned. But in the kingdom courts of heaven, Jesus is standing up for him because I died for that guy. And he's going to be with me forever in eternity, uh, uh, you know. In paradise. Amen. Amen. So church, like what? What are you being contemned by? What did your mom say when you were a kid? What did your dad do when you were a teenager? What did your past church or pastor or house church leader, you know, or ministry or, or, or spouse or, child, you know, like what is weighing you down? What? Why do they have that type of authority and power over you? They don't. If they do, it's because you've subscribed to the authority of man. You've submitted yourself to the courts of, of, of this world. Right? And the scriptures tells us that 
we don't have to defend ourselves because Jesus has already received us, okay? So that's, that's an overarching, you know, I want you to understand that for your value. No one can take away from your value and worth. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we put ourselves into bad situations, right? And we're responsible for that. And yes, there is consequences. And, and yes, you have a church. And that's why you have house church uh, uh, leaders. And, you know, we have Ten Commandments if you haven't already gone over them. And, and there's this commitment. There's this covenant. There's this relationship. There's, there's this alignment. Right, we're going to help each other grow. You have every right to even encourage and, and you know, take your leader aside and say, hey, I'm concerned you know, certain things and inconsistencies, you know, not publicly, not in front of your house church, not on a public chat. Right? It's just, you, know, you, just, you take your leaders aside and say, hey, you know, I'm concerned or, or you can bring you know, concerns to me. And then, and then we work these things out. We're, we're all going together in this. We're all, we're all going in the same direction. Um, and so, so praise God for that. Um, it says here that while he was on trial, as um, <laughs> they were giving false witness of him, the scriptures tells us that uh, he had a face of an angel. He had a face of an angel. Just, just out of curiosity, I'm always curious about this. How many of you have ever heard anyone tell you that you have a face of an angel? <laughs> really? I, I'm actually surprised. I, I, I thought there'd be like four or five or six Come on, be honest. Like, like, you know, someone said, wow, there's something about you. You just, you know, you're, you're like an angel. No one has ever said that? Huh. I, I really meant, I really thought, you know, uh, people say that to me all the time. <laughs> I'm being honest. I, I, was, I was 22. Uh, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a huge music industry. You know, my, my dad was friends with a celebrity, like old, old school celebrity. And then, and then their daughter had married a music producer and he had come and, uh, and, and we were just talking he's fully in the music industry and, and we're just talking you know I was on fire for God and, 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 and maybe it was broken English maybe he didn't mean that but he said oh wow Sam you know you have like an angel you know face you know there's something so peaceful about you that, that's what he means okay, when, when I say face it has nothing to do with your looks okay <laughs> ta- there's, there's a certain countenance there's a certain peace uh, uh, you know, Pastor Chris had mentioned to me that several times in his workplace, someone said, there's just something about you, there's a countenance, there's something just very peaceful and angelic about you. Um, and I'll tell you what that is. I'll tell you what that is. If you want to know what that is and where you can get it, <laughs> if you want to be called a, you know, it's, it's just spending time with God. It's so simple. I, I, I sit down for about 30 minutes. I empty my heart, and I just sit in the presence of God, and, and hey, I'm just like you guys. I got all sorts of problems, okay? I got a million, million and one things, whether in the church or whether in my home or, you know, outside that I got to deal with, and, and, and you know, that, those, that, the weight of those things, you know, makes my, you know, eyes, go, you know, scowl and wrinkle, and, and then I go before God, and, and I just, I just, you know, it's not even like a, any, any intentional wording. It's just, Lord, I'm here. And, and I, just, I just need to be in your presence. That's it. Right? I'm not, I'm not like talking. And there are certainly times for that and contending. But most of the time, most of the time, it's probably taking five or ten minutes just to like, it's like I'm going to meet my wife for a date, right? I, I need to, you know, stop looking at my computer screen. I need to put my phone away. I need to, I need to be present, right? You know, there, there's a few things you got to do. You can't, you can't go on a date and be looking at your phone all day and a- answering calls. You're, you're just not there. You're physically not there. I mean, you're physically there, but you're emotionally not there. And so most of the time, like the first five, ten minutes is just, just being present, wanting to be there 
and then wanting God to be there. And then, and then I get to this place where I just, I, I, know, I know He's there. And then I might get into the Word, or I might get into prayer, and, and I just, I just, it's just spending time. It's like, it's like, you know, in your mind there's clouds, right? And then you spend time before God, and then the clouds part, and then, and then the radiance of His sun hits you. You know, it's physical, it's tangible. The warmth hits your face, and, and there's, it's, you know, it, it's vitamin D or whatever you want to call it, and, 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 and you look brighter. And so spiritually speaking, you spend that type of you know, time just in His presence, and you tell God, oh, I just want to be with you. I just, I just want to be in your presence. Lord, if you have a word for me in the scriptures, you know, if I want to just praise. And that's what that is. It's, it's simply a reflection of your spending time with God. You know, consider the uh, opposite. You, you haven't spent any time with God, right? You haven't dialogued or communed with Him at all. Consider the type of countenance you carry in that week. You know, when things are going okay, it's okay, right? Cruise control, right? But imagine you didn't spend a week or two or a month, you know, personal, you know, radiance time, you know, getting filled with his presence. And then something comes unsuspected, blindsides you, derails you. Oh, man, the countenance, everything, it's like this dark cloud and, you know, you know every, everything anyone says and they may not even intend it in that way. You, you receive it in a negative way. And that's all about countenance. That's all about presence. And so you got to spend this, this time only uh, uh, with God. Um, let's bow our heads this morning. And uh, my question to you this morning is, do you feel under attack? Do you feel under assault? One, one reminder I want to give you, okay, this is not to relinquish you from your responsibility or a part in it, but one, one thing I want to remind you is, uh, when you're being attacked or assaulted, it's not just a personal attack against you. It's also a, an attack against your witness. You're not just defending yourself, but you're also defending your witness. And so can I say, when an assault comes on you, right or wrong, you know, 99% of the time it's not your fault, but, but you know, one or two or more percent is... Can I, can I share with you that the manner in which you respond is also a testimony? When you've been wronged and assaulted, listen. The manner in which you respond to that and how you defend yourself says a lot about what you believe. Says a lot about what you believe. Because if Jesus and the kingdom courts have decreed you are forgiven and none, not, not one ounce of your identity and personhood is lost because Jesus paid it all. There should be a foundation by which we're able to respond in humility. There, you, know, you know, high up leaders, you know, being able to apologize. Where does that come from? Absolute security in their identity. High up leaders who can apologize or, or just people who can't apologize at all. You know, there's, there's, it, they're losing something if they do. 
that, 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 that line of thinking, there's something in error there with, with the gospel. There's something in error there when Jesus has fully paid the price and said, you're redeemed. Stephen saw Jesus, and in the midst of being stoned, he said, forgive them. Church, when you see Jesus, you can forgive your enemies. When you are walking closely with Jesus, you can forgive the hurts and the pains. I'll just spend a few moments this morning just uh, dialoguing or just, just soaking in the Lord. <clears throat>